heard a, a super awesomely great quote that I just, I just want to share with my family. And it was Luther. He said, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. When I look at Christ, I can't see how I won't be saved. Something to think about. When you look at yourself in the mirror, how can you be saved? But when you look at what Christ has done for you, how can you not be saved? Amen. Thank you, Mike. When you come early, you get all kinds of jewels and gems. So good to see you. Mike and Tina in church. Tina, you're on the mend, right? On the mend. We want to welcome all those by way of television today to all of it United Methodist Church. We consider it a real privilege and honor to come into your households. Many had contacted me last week saying how they appreciated our service last week and the content and the challenge. One pastor just last night as he was working on his sermon, he was going to take a lot of my notes from last Sunday and project by way of television in a kind of a national way too. But we want to thank all those that are joining us by way of television or radio or any means of communication, Facebook, we consider it a real honor and privilege coming into your homes. We're small in number, but high in quality. May God bless you as you come to worship with us in spirit and in truth. This morning, our opening hymn is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, Purple Hymnal number 89, and that's in honor of the anniversary of our daughter, Joy, and and her husband, Ryan. Do keep Ryan in your thoughts and prayers. He's been deployed. All our law enforcement, my other son-in-law, Dan, many of those that serve on law enforcement in the military. But let us stand now as we turn to our opening hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Purple hymn number 89, please, 89.
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in our praise him is Oh How I Love Jesus, purple number 170. And I, I think of Joyce Peters when I think of this hymn, and I think it's really appropriate for Kirsten's as the birthdays of Kirsten and Joyce Peters. It, it just seems like, you know, three or four months ago we celebrated your birthday, Joyce. It's just once a year, right? And we're going to have that uh, coffee hour and honor Joyce and her birthday today and also for Sue. Sue has joined us here, I think it's probably three Sundays or so, too. What was it? What? Amen. Well, you qualify to have the coffee hour in your honor. So, How I Love Jesus, purple number 170, please. Clarice chooses such wonderful hymns, and they always seem to kind of match up with our scripture and our themes. If you have a special number that you would like to have dedicated in memory of loved ones or your anniversary or your birthday significant events in your life, do let us know, and we would like to share in that, that celebration of that great event. If you're joining us by way of television, our scripture lesson is going to be taken from Isaiah 
chapter 43, 16 through 21. Our sermon title is A New Thing. Scripture reading Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43, 16 through 21. Let's go to prayer. Father, this morning we have many things to celebrate. We celebrate the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we move on into this Lenten season, we want to thank you that we can truly move on from the obstacles and the challenges and the negative things of life to the more positive things, from the death and burial of Christ to his resurrection. And as we look forward to next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, and the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and the triumphant entry of Jesus into our lives, we pray that Jesus would continue to triumph in our lives at so many turns, straightaways, ditches in our lives, we find more defeats than victories, but we concentrate on Christ who is more than a conqueror, who allows us to be more than a conqueror through that Holy Spirit that strengthens us. We thank you this morning that we can come in preparation of that great and glorious event that he has risen. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we can have assurance that we have forgiveness and pardon from our sins in the old nature. And we can realize that God is doing a new thing each and every year and day and moment of our lives that he is doing a new thing. And as we look into Scripture today, Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21. He's doing a new thing in our world. He's doing a new thing in our individual lives. He's new, doing a new thing and things that we don't even realize he's working in. For such a time as this, we need a new thing as well. We contemplate during worship that you're going to move through the thoughts, tents, and deeds of our lives. May you bring about your will and your transformation in our hearts and in our lives. We give you all glory, honor, power, and praise, and majesty to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God. We approach that throne of grace, asking your healing hand. It's just yesterday I spoke to Ethel. And as she goes, moves on to 102, she brings rich greetings and love and peace to our congregation. As I spoke to the mayors, Jim and Charlene, they dearly and deeply miss our congregation and they listen faithfully to our worship service, to the hymns that we sing and the message and the scriptures are studied. The hope that all of it through its ministry and through the Holy Spirit brings to the hearts and lives of people. And as Gary and Kathy are gone and traveling, we pray that you have your hand of blessing and traveling mercies upon the grosses. We pray for the Crowell's family and we pray for other members of our congregation that are facing struggles and recovery and recuperation. We thank you for 
Pastor Groves with us today, and we pray that you have your hand to continue healing upon his body and upon Char's body. As we look forward to the Eight Ways, eight ways group and the eight or ten churches that are represented that will be meeting here on Tuesday, and as we host those churches, we, we remember Pilgrim United Methodist Church and the recent marriage that I performed with Bruce Conan and his wife is from Ukraine and very concerned about her mother and we pray for the many members of that country that have, are on the move and those who are the males, the individuals that are serving in the National Guard there in Ukraine. Pray for the Russians, we pray for Putin that he would change his mind in the devastation of the country and the many families and the homes. We come against that demonic spirit. We come against that spirit within our own United States that are causing division and discourse, the chaos and the confusion at the border, inflation, energy. We all see the prices of inflation. And we live in a very fearful time and as we studied on our Wednesday Bible studies, we are to live in faith rather than fear because there's fearful times all around us. But God can raise a hedge of protection and provide that ark and covenant of protection among those who love and seek God's will in their lives. For these and so many other numerous prayer requests, Lord, as we come before you this morning, before we turn to Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21, teaches that model of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Reading now from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 20, and you get an added blessing if you turn there and read along with me. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 20. 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Say it with me, a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. 
the people whom I form for myself, so that they might declare my praise. May God bless the reading and the hearing of Word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Verse 16 from our passage today was actually a reference to the path created for the Israelites to pass through the Red Sea with the Egyptians, soldiers hot on their tail to kill them. The words used here, thus, says the Lord, is a common introduction into the very words of God and a traditional introduction to a prophetic oracle. When the walls of water collapsed on the Armenian chariots, of course, they perished and ended the pursuit. It seemed unlikely that Paul would remind them of the Exodus and then on the other hand tell them right away not to remember past events. His motive for mentioning that was probably to encourage them that God has and will protect them. Another issue he wanted them to avoid is that a godly solution from a past event may not resemble God's solution to a brand new event. Furthermore, he did not want them to, re to revert their old sinful ways of life. He doesn't want his children to dwell on the mistakes of the past. God does not want us to dwell on our mistakes that we've made. If our mind does reference them, it's hard to forget things that we've done in the past that were questionable or flat out sinful. If we things do come into your mind for your past, you know what you should do? Immediately think of how God and Jesus delivered you from that sin that you've committed. Concentrate on that. Not what you did wrong, but what made it right. If you refer, I refer you now to uh, the first eight verses of chapter 43, where God speaks of his protected nature of his beloved children. So if you read through the first, first uh, eight verses in 43, you'll see that God's always been with them and always will be. What immediately follows is a reminder that God is doing a new thing. Part of this comment was probably referencing King Cyrus. King Cyrus was a rather recent benevolent king that had come to power and allowed them to return, not only to return to Israel, but also donated a large amount of money for the rebuilding of the temple. Verse 19 is God wanting their attention and ask them if they see the new things that he is doing. He then says he will not only make a path for them in the wilderness, but also provide water for them as a river in a parched desert. This is a reference, reference to the, the fertility of the land of Israel. In verses 20 and 21, God reminds them that both the animals and man should honor him. They had already been reminded of God's help on the Red Sea, and now God is reassuring them that his assistance, he will be there for their assistance when they're in the desert. An interesting aspect of this verse is that it calls the people of Israel to declare his praise and be the light, basically, for all nations in the world. The Lord had already delivered his people from Babylon and Egypt, 
but I believe this verse reaches out to the deliverance and praise the entire world gives the Lord Jesus Christ out of his sacrificial work that he accomplished to bring us back to God. Those who praise Jesus in every country, in every nation on the globe, will be brought back, brought back as a, the son or daughter of the living God, Father God. One of the lessons God wanted the Israelites, Israelites to learn applies to us today, here. God may not, may not re, repair a recurrent issue or problem in your life in the same way that he solved it in the past. Don't think he's a God of repetition. When you have a problem, even if it's one you've had before, have faith that God may come up with a brand new solution for you to praise him all about. God is original, if nothing else. <laughs> keep that in mind. And keep your mind and heart open to the moments, the movements of God, and however or whatever he chooses to solve your problem with. Always, not only be looking forward to a new solution, but be looking forward to the thanks and praise you're going to render him when it's delivered to you. Finally, I'll repeat myself here, because I said earlier, I heard a quote from Luther that I really enjoyed. And I thought about it, and I thought, it's worth thinking about. When I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Jesus Christ and what he's done, I don't see how I couldn't be saved. I would not be saved. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Mike. And it's so good to see Tina with Mike in church. Mike would oftentimes walk down to the pew by himself. I'd ask him how Tina's doing, and he'd say, you know, she's fine, or you know, she's just in need of rest and relaxation, and so good to see the two of them together. Our scripture kind of reminds us about a, a story that I recall that appeared in a newspaper some time ago, and it was about a 71-year-old man in Evansville, Indiana, who had his life saved in a most unusual way a truck smashed into his house. It was 2.35 a.m. when a driver lost control of his truck on a wet pavement, struck the curb, sailed onto the porch of Leo Roy Book's house. And later, a utility crew sought to restore the electricity to Mr. Book's house and to check for gas leaks. They discovered that Book's chimney and pipes were, were clogged with two feet, two feet of, of soot and leaves. And the blockage was causing an odorless, poisonous carbon monoxide fumes, which generated from burning natural gas to back up into his house. And for the past two years, Book, who lives alone by himself, 
has been sick with classic, almost COVID-like symptoms, including chills and nausea, nausea and shakes and headaches. And these are also symptoms similar symptoms to carbon monoxide poisoning. Poisoning. He would black out and he couldn't remember doing such things as visiting a friend. He'd, he'd say I'd come home to, and, and I'd forget oftentimes the things that I had been doing during the day. I'd come home to, or I'd go outside and I'd get some fresh air. But every day it was, it was getting worse and worse. It was, it was awful, he said. Chances are that if the car had not had that accident and smashed into his house, by now Lee Roy Book would be dead. And the real kicker to this story, however, is at the end. Booker once worked as a, as a building contractor, and he was very much aware of the dangers, the dangers of improperly vented furnaces. And he always warned his customers to check their flues, check their flues every two or three years to make sure they, they weren't clogged. But somehow or another, he said, it never did dawn on me to check my own chimney. Now I was thinking about titling this sermon, Checking Your Chimney. Then I received a call from my, one of my favorite physicians, and he said my time was coming due. Every 10 years you get colostomy. The season of Lent is a time of checkup. Physical, mental, spiritual checkups on our bodies, which are our temples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lenten, in the season of Lent is a time when we who are supposed to be the spiritually, spiritually enlightened of the world, we are at that time to be the opportunists to check our own chimneys. For you see, we do not live in a static world. Neither is God a static God. God says in our reading from Isaiah, forget Forget the former things, do not dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. For a firstborn achiever, a type A type of person, I like to have things done yesterday for today. We sometimes live in the past. Is there anybody in the room who is not encouraged by this good news? that God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. God is not confined to the pages of a book. Neither is he confined to the faith of our fathers and our mothers. God is our contemporary. God is walking with us. That's why we do not promote our religion, but we promote our relationship, a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. God is truly doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing in our world. 
Some of you can remember when it was fashionable in our, our land to, to look for communists under every bed. Some of you are old enough to remember when you'd have these drills when you'd crawl underneath your desk in your school for shelter. Why? We live in an immortal fear of the red tide that would one day wash over our beloved shores. People of faith should have known that the Soviet Union had far more to fear from freedom than we ever had to fear from creeping communism. But we're living in a day and an age where communism and socialism, fascism, all those isms have taken on a new twisted, contorted idea. Among some of our most elitists in our colleges, in our seminaries, are developing this idea of situational ethics that the end can actually be justified by the means and the means justify the end. That rules may only apply to others and not themselves. Why? Because freedom is God's way. Human dignity is God's agenda. Do you remember um, Archibald Ridgeridge? story about the time he tried to capture and he tried to cage a, a young mockingbird. And on the second day in the cage, the young mockingbird's mother flew to her offspring with food in her bill. And this pleased young Rutledge for surely the mother knew how to feed the child better than than he did. But the following morning, however, he found the pathetic little captive dead. And when he, when he recounted this experience to, the, to Arthur Wayne, a renowned ornithologist, bird doctor, Dr. Wayne explained, a mother, mockingbird, he said, finding her young in a cage will sometimes take it poisonous, poisonous berries. She thinks it's better for the one she loves to die rather than to live in captivity. Die rather than to live in captivity. You know, this is a sad story, but it's a sound principle. There, there's something within the heart within your heart, within my heart, within every heart that, that wants to be free, wants to be free. Freedom is God's plan for his children. God was there as the bricks were removed from the Berlin Wall. God was there when that, that lone student defied the tank in Commandment Square. God was there when Terry Anderson walked out of his prison cell in Beirut, a free man. And it's observed to interpret history as if God is dead. God is doing a new thing. That is a word of warning, my friends, as well as a word of promise. There are still, still ways in which we degrade people's dignity in our land. God 
will not tolerate such indignities forever. As long as people live in poverty and people live in hunger, in fear, God's agenda is not completed. As long as people live in sin, and as long as people live in squalor and despair, God and God's people will not cease their labors. My Father is still working. Jesus said, and I am working through my people. God is doing a new thing, a new thing in our world. He's doing a, a new thing in individual lives. It, it was 1884, and the New Orleans Cotton Exposition wanted to make an even bigger splash than the Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia a few years before. And New Orleans did come up with something never seen before. All the ladies ooed and all the ladies awed over an exotic water flower with an orchid-like, an orchid-like bloom and blossom that came from Venezuela. Even the name smelled good, the water. I asked my wife for the pronunciation again that time. Hyacinth. Hyacinth. Say it with me. Hyacinth. 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 It's, it's spelled H-Y-A-C-I-N-T-H. That water hyacinth. Well, well, thousands of the ladies, visitors, they snaked a little slip of the plant into their handbags and they took them home praying that they would take root in some spot of their own damp Louisiana yards. And their prayers were answered. Before many years, it became evident that this water, Hyson, say it with me again, Hyson, was not only going to survive, it might even take over every, every water channel in the south. Soon rivers and soon canals were solid white from bank to bank. A little too late, a little too late, horticulturists found that each plant produces a thousand little water plants every two months. And because pieces broke off and floated down the river, they can even transplant themselves with no help from the outside. What a profound parallel to the way sin comes into my life and into your life, into our lives. I realize when I'm aging, the last couple nights we were being entertained by the Gideons at the Sheridan, by the J-Hop, another high-class place, ate enough food for the whole entire week. But just getting to bed at midnight and my farm alarm clock goes off about 5, 5.30, I realized that at one time I could exist with four or five hours of sleep, but it's, those days are long gone. 
But what a parallel to the way sin comes into our lives, a simple, a simple phone call, a, a drink at a party, a glance at a bad magazine, growing resentments over a tiny slight, a, a calloused attitude towards people with less opportunities than you or I have. Such small, insignificant things, but, but watch out when they take root, they take root, the human heart is fertile soil for everything that is twisted, that's distorted and evil. Every student of human behavior knows this is true. A lady wrote into Reader's Digest sometime back to say that a co-worker of hers had had his car stolen from the company's parking lot. And when the police finally located the vehicle, they found that the thief had installed a burglar alarm system in it. That thief, out of his own experience, knew the human heart. The human heart. There's something within you and I that's within us that, that's out of whack. There's something within us that, that scorns the delights that are permitted and craves the forbidden. The forbidden fruit. There is something within us that is self-destructive and causes us to throw away the most precious possessions of, of our all-including gift of life itself. One of, one of life's deepest, deepest mysteries is why whales, whales from time to time will beach themselves. You've seen the newspaper accounts, probably the most famous incident took place in Oregon in the late 70s. A crowd of 5,000 people gathered on the beach. They watched helplessly as life ebbed out of 41, 41 sperm whales that had thrown themselves on the beach earlier that morning. And scientists theorized that even if they were some way some way to move these monsters, these whales, these 15 tons monsters back into the deep, their efforts would be in vain. Freed whales often turn around and they swim determinately back to the shore. Why, no one knows. It's been happening at least since the time of Jesus. Many possible explanations have been offered, but nobody really knows the answer. In the words of Yule Brenner, King of Siam, it's a puzzlement. But there is a greater mystery. There is a greater mystery. Why will a bright? And last night, as I heard testimony after testimony of transformed lives of young people, young, athletic, academic. And, you know, folks, we're so grateful to have the J-Hop support us here as we support them, they support us. But hear the testimonies of these young men and women 
There is that greater mystery. Why will a bright, healthy, well-clothed young person risk impairment of mind and body by experimenting with drugs and sex? Or why, knowing all we know about the efforts of nicotine on the body, why do some people still begin the habit of smoking? Why will a man with a wife and a family who loves him and children who depend on him risk it all for a cheap, meaningless affair? And for that matter, in this day of the rapid spread of sexually transmitted diseases, including AIDS and other diseases, why should anyone thinking, any thinking person, engage in promiscuous sex? Are we crazy? Are we crazy? What gets into us sometimes? The Bible calls it sin. Sin gets into us. There is, is a brokenness in my life and in your life that only can be healed and mended by Christ. A, a sickness unto death, it is a curse of our very existence. And God wants to help us do something about it. He wants us to have a new thing, a new thing in our lives. This brings us to the last thing to be said for this morning. Maybe it's time for us to do a, a new thing as well. For you see, sin is what Lent and the cross is all about. Somewhere I read about the origin, the origin of the word fireman. Today's firemen or firefighters, as we know now call them, put out fires. But originally, originally though, firemen were men who started fires. They started fires. The original firemen worked in coal mines and it was their hazardous job to be the first to enter a mine each morning. They would wrap themselves in wet rags to make themselves as fireproof as possible and, and then grabbing a long flaming stick, they would go in and they would ignite any explosive methane, methane gas that seeped into the mine overnight, burning off the dangerous gas, thus made the workplace safe for others. Perhaps the Bible and perhaps our scripture and perhaps the writer of Hebrews had known about this tradition, he would have called Jesus our fire person. Jesus freezes from the fires of hell. For as the New Testament church struggled with the reality of Christ's death on the cross, they concluded that it had something to do with our sin and our need to be justified before God. Calvary was God's new thing. The good news, they concluded that for that day as well as for all time, by his sacrifice we are saved. By his wounds we are healed. By his death, we are brought eternal life. But only if we respond, if we respond in repentance and faith. In a re recent Peanuts cartoon strip, Lucy is, is livid, livid at her mother. 
And she says, you promised me a birthday party. She wails. And now you say that I can't have one. It's not fair. And Linus tries to intervene, and you're not using the right strategy, he counsels. Why don't you go up? Why don't you go up to Mom and say to her, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dear Mother. I admit I've been bad. And you were right to cancel my party. But from now on, I shall try to be good. I shall try to behave. And Lucy, Lucy has his grimace on her face as she thinks this through. And finally, in the last panel, she cries out, I'd rather die. What is it of our nature that says we'd rather die than repent and ask for forgiveness of our sins? Unfortunately, that's the response that many of us have. God has done a new thing. God has done a new thing for the world. God has done a new thing for each of us. And what is our response? Those by television, those by radio and Facebook and all means of communication. What do we do? God has done this new thing for each of us. Shall we continue in our same self-destructive, defunct ways? Shall we continue to hurt those who we love, who love us most? Or shall we begin to do a new thing ourselves? This is what the Lord says. Forget, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. How it springs up. And now it springs up. You are to perceive it. I am making a way in the desert and the streams in the wasteland. Isn't it time that you allowed God to send his healing streams into the wasteland of your barren life? God's willing to do a whole new thing in your life. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer, the Bible is God's love letters to you and I that he loves us so very much that he sent his only begotten son that the whosoever's in life should not perish but have everlasting life. God is new, doing a new thing. He wants us to expend new fruits of the Spirit in the lives and the hearts of all the recipients around us. With every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer, let us pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you can do a new thing in our lives. Forgive our sins, O Lord. Come into our heart and life. Prosper us, O Lord, in mind, body, soul, and spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, as the ushers bring forth the offering plate, let us turn to our offering prayer printed in our bulletins. If you'd be so kind and read with me. Loving God, you give and give. 
and didn't think the life of your son was too high a price to pay for our salvation. Jesus' life was an example of sacrificial giving all the way to the cross. As we give this day, we want our gifts to impact the world, but even more, we want him to bring glory to Christ, who lived and died for all your children. Help us not to hold back anything. We pray in the name of your Son and Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Let us turn to our offertory hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus, purple number 189, Fairest Lord Jesus. This is a hymn that was requested by Chris's mother and grandmother on our wedding date some 47 years ago. Fairest Lord Jesus.
Would you stand, please, for the doxology? Holy God of light and truth and the way that overcomes darkness and death, as we offer our tithes and offerings to you this morning, we pray that we may give the confidence and assurance of those fully convinced in our promise of the resurrection. Help us to experience our generosity as those who have no need to hold back or hedge on our bets, but that we may live our days giving freely with love and grace, not as those who had the hope only of salvation, but the promise, the true promise. In Christ we pray, amen. And do keep in mind, we're celebrating Joyce's birthday and Sue's second or third time here at church. Chris? Thank you. 